When I prepare a sermon, something in the last few years, that as I am thinking about the passage, as I'm thinking about the theme, God starts putting a soundtrack together in my head of different songs. And sometimes the songs very much surprise me. Sometimes they're a hymn from my childhood. Sometimes they're a chorus I haven't sung in years. The first song that came to mind for this one is a children's song. You probably haven't heard of it. It was from a kid's summer program that we did, and it goes like this. If there's one thing we can count on, it's that God will never, I can only do it with the actions, God will never let us down. Uh, I have, it's in there. I, I might need some help because I'm not singing it, so. If there's one thing we can count on, it's that God will never let us down. Uh, we can, We can trust everything he does. He keeps his promises, we know, because, yeah, the word of the Lord stands true. We can trust him. We can trust him. That's the song. It kept going, uh, if there's one thing we can count on, it's that God will never let us down. And so at the very beginning of this time of worship, I asked you to start thinking, what is a promise God's given you, be it a Bible verse or just a phrase that has been a promise to you, something that you could stand on and hold, hold you through a hard time? I know that somebody in the chat put something in. It was Isaiah. Yeah. Okay, let's hear them out while people here are still getting brave. <laughs> If you can, can I okay, can I can hear, hear you, now? you now. Excellent. The first one is Isaiah 26, 3. You will in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Okay. Uh, the second one is Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Followed up by verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You're God's creation. You are made in his image. It is very good. Thank you. Does anybody here have a promise that God has given you at some time? Just yell it out. I will repeat it for the people at home. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, the plans to give you peace, hope, and a future. It was a prayer Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit in me. Amen. That God cleans us when we ask for forgiveness. Amen. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a promise to hold on to. Psalm 20. I cannot do that one from memory. Can you give me the gist of it? What's the promise? Yes, I know Psalm 23. I, for some reason in my head, I heard 103, even as I was saying 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It even got this part later in the verse. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. And before that, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Those paths include the, the restful pa pastures and the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me through both. 
Great one. I don't know where my head was for five seconds in there. <laughs> Anyone else? Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In my head, I was doing the actions we taught the kids once where you jump on the word trust. It's a kid's pastor thing. These are promises that God takes us through, promises that God will provide, promises that he'll give us peace, promises that like, when we are anxious, when we are scared, we can cast our burdens on him. He hears our prayers. There are countless promises that we have clung to. And sometimes we're clinging to them when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when we are in the hard place. The other, the second song that came to mind as I was preparing this is Blessed Be Your Name. And I love it. it, it it's this one that makes me want to get up and sing because like, it's easy to praise God's name when we are in the land of the plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Praise God for his blessing. It is harder, but still true, when we bless his name, when we're found in that desert place, when we walk through the wilderness, when we are in the place marked with suffering, when the world's not as it should be, we can, can we still say, blessed be your name? So those are the first two of three songs that were the soundtrack preparing this message. And it is because we can live by faith, not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We, we live by faith, not by the sight of our current circumstances. In 2016, I was in a very different place. I was living in Nova Scotia. I was unemployed. I had left my position as a children's pastor where I had served for almost 10 years, almost a year before in 2015, and it was not a happy break between me and my church. I was on EI, I had a small part-time job that was not, the fact that I had a part-time job and I was still able to collect EI shows how many hours I was getting from the part-time job. And if you have been in that situation, you know what living was like financially. And I, so it was, it was about January 2016, and I knew my EI was running out in May, and a better job had not come into my light. There, had been, there was nothing. And I was still in a place of hurt and depression, but I started asking God, I'm like, God, I really thought when I left, I would never be in ministry to get. I thought like that had ended things, like that was, a, that was a door you slammed in my face, and it's done. Am I done for ministry? Is this over? And God said, do you trust me? And I went, yes. He's like, wait on me. So somewhere between January and February, and I went looking for these emails for the correspondence to give myself a better timeline, I couldn't find the originals. Um, but sometime in there, my dad's pastor emails me. His name was Pastor Gary Landers. Some of you know him. And he just reached out. He's like, Liz, I was talking to your dad, and he says you're going through a hard time. Um, 
can I talk to you this week? So he called me up and we chatted for somewhere between a half hour and an hour uh, about God, about what was going on in my life, uh, where, where I was in ministry because he knew I, had, I was ordained. And we just had an honest, I told him my brokenness of, I don't know if God will ever want to use me again. Like it feels like that door was shut. And, and yet I'm trusting in God. So that was February. Later that month, he's like, God has laid it on my heart. I believe the church I am attending, the one your parents are attending, needs a youth pastor. I think that is the vision God has given me, to put a youth pastor at that church. Don't tell your parents because it's still up in the air, but start praying about it because I think you might be who God wants here. And I went, okay, I can pray. I can pray about that. If they're looking for a youth pastor... I can pray to see if I am the one to go be at this church. And so we kept in regular correspondence. And in March, he's like, I'm going to meet you. The church is sending me to meet you. Wasn't fully true. He wasn't lying. He was coming on God's will. He used his vacation to drive from Ontario to Moncton, New Brunswick. And I got some friends to help me pay for gas. And I drove and met him in Moncton. Uh, almost halfway place for the two of us to have an afternoon chat, to get to know each other, to pray, and to discern, does God want me to come to this church? And I went, I think, I think this, like, it feels like God is lining this up, but this is, this is what I'm telling my friends, and we're like, we're praying, and God says, just wait, trust me. March comes, and and as it's getting into April, I'm recognizing two things. There is no other job pr prospect in front of me, except for this potential job at North Granville Community Church. My EI is running out at the end of May, I believe. And I start having this realization. I do not have this job yet, but in t if I wait till the offer is given, I'm not going to have the money to move because I've had to use it for rent. If I do not move in soon, I will not be able to afford to move. Does that, but there is no job offer yet. And I go, God, what do you want me to do? He's like, do you trust me? I will guide you. Do you trust me? I will guide you. I got people praying with me in this. I was not yet telling my parents about this. I'm just going, mom, dad, Maybe I might need to move home. That's as, that as far as I had broached it with my parents. And they are, they, you have been parents. We have many parents here going, I know that on the other side of, what's going on with my child? Do you not care about your future? Like, make some decisions, child. Make some decisions. <sighs> and I was a place of knowing the promise that God, God had started to awaken my love for ministry and serving him, but I was not yet in the promised land. And I did not know if the answer to prayer was North Granville Community Church. We live by faith, not by sight. And so, in April, on my birthday, I announced, I'm moving to Kempville, Ontario for a job I do not have. And my friends, especially the non-Christians ones, thought I was crazy. <laughs> I do not blame them. 
It is hard to live in that place where you're holding onto a promise that you don't quite have the vision for. And that's where the start of this story is. We are meeting two sisters who know Jesus and are loved by Jesus with their brother on a deathbed. And they know the power Jesus has. They, have, they live in Bethany. Bethany is known as the town of the poor, the sick, the downtrodden. Jesus has come through Bethany before and healed. They know Jesus, and they know their brother is dying. So what do they do? They send a message to Jesus. And I find this story fascinating because if you're reading in your Bible, um, there's this helpful heading that most translations will put in. It's extra for us to know what, is, what are we about to read. And it's normally labeled the resurrection of Lazarus. But Lazarus never speaks in this story. <laughs> he is in the story, but he does nothing but get sick and dies. That, that is his role in the story. This is about Jesus and these two sisters. Um, if you look, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be referencing, I really appreciate Amy Beth giving us a heads up by reading through this. I'm gonna be speaking about specific verses, so if you want to look at that, as I say. Um, so this first interesting point is verse two. Um, Verse 11, or verse 1 of chapter 11 sets up, Lazarus is sick. He is the sister, he is the brother of the sisters Mary and Martha. And then there's this bracket, like, explanation. This is Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, is the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John's gospel, the fourth gospel, was the final gospel to be written. We believe, just by length and some other scholarship, that Mark was written first, then Matthew and Luke used it as a framework to flush out and add some other things, and then after they were written, John wrote his gospel with a perspective to catch some of the stories that were missed by the first three, um, and to highlight some elements of who God is that the other three didn't have. This is one of those stories but because of the fame of Mary and Martha from the earlier stories, we have Mary and Martha being taught by Jesus and Martha being like, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus being like, Mary's chosen what won't be taken from her. Uh, people know their names. They recognize who these women are. They know the story of Mary. So I find it very interesting. Like if you're just reading John without reading anything else, you're like, Mary who wiped the perfume? What is this about? Because that event doesn't actually happen until chapter 12, and we're still in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is also an interesting place in the book of John. So we think of it as a big story. This is that middle point crisis. Uh, the first 10 chapters are the book of signs. Um, John has seven miracles. He only accounts for seven of the miraculous things, signs that Jesus did. And this is the last one. This is a turning point in the gospel because right after this, John explains the Pharisees are now looking to kill Jesus. So this is, this is where the gospel turns and starts preparing for Jesus' death and resurrection. It's after this point that Jesus starts telling his disciples, I'm going to suffer. Everything hinges on this story. 
So we have these sisters who know Jesus, who hang out with him, and their brother is dying. What do we do when somebody is sick? We call on the one who can heal. They send a messenger to Jesus. He was, based on chapter 10, he was probably about a day to two days travel away. And the messenger gets there with these words, Lord, the one you love is sick. And the word love in this case is phileo, which means like the one you love as a brother. You have adopted him into your family. He is close to you. Come heal him. He's sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the son may be glorified through it. And I, for the longest time, just thought he said this to his disciples. He said it to the crowd that had gathered with him. But I also think one of the people in this audience is the messenger. So Jesus has an entourage, a group with him, but the messenger goes, that's good news, and rushes back to Bethany to tell the sisters, your brother's not going to die. Jesus said it's for God's glory. Why do I think that? Later in verse 40, uh, Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? That's, that's where I'm hanging this, that the sisters had this message. They had this promise to hold on to. And yet Jesus stayed away. And the sisters holding this promise, it's not going to end in death. It's not going to end in death. Watch your brother breathe his last breath. and sit in the silence, because Jesus didn't show up. And they call the people to bring the wraps and arrange the funeral. And people bring potato salad and lasagna, because that's what you bring when somebody's grieving. And the friends from Jerusalem come down, because it's only 30 miles away, and that's what you do when your friend has died. Everybody comes to the house, and you sit there. And you just sit and and you just, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? That's all I can think of for these women. We had a promise. Did Jesus just lie to us? I have been studying this verse with my class in biblical interpretation. And the sentence in this passage that has struck me, almost irked me, but struck me for the first part of the week uh, of our studying was verse six. Ah, You need to read verse five to understand why verse six upset me. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loved them, so he stayed away. And my question kept being, how is that love? How is that love, God? Our brother is on his deathbed. I am out of work and not sure if I can live and pay rent after May. How is this love? Where is the answer? I know you've had questions like that. God, where are you right now? I know this promise, 
but my life does not match it. I am in the place of desert. I'm in the wilderness. I am walking the road of suffering. Where are you right now? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed away two more days. Now, after these two days, he has this whole conversation with his disciples explaining to them, we're going to go see Lazarus now. And they're confused. They're like, don't those people want to kill you? Weren't you nearly stoned? And he gives a parable. Um, and it's a whole sermon in itself. So we're going to just know that it's good and it's there and we can read that another day. He tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples like, if he's asleep, he'll get better. This is, this is how the body works. And Jesus is like, no, friends, I'm, using, I'm softening the blow. He's dead. We, we, we need to go. Um, and Thomas, I just want to throw this out. Thomas gets a bad rap. He's referred to as the doubting disciple, doubting Thomas. I just want to look at his bravery here for a moment. He said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Good job, Thomas. Just wanted to throw that one in there, a nice little commentary. So Jesus is on his way, and I think this verse about I'm going to wake him up shows that Jesus understands death very differently than us. He sees life and the supernatural differently. He sees it from a divine, heavenly reality. The next section involves Jesus interacting with these two sisters one-on-one. -on -one. The first one is Martha. Jesus arrives, doesn't go into town, doesn't go to the house. He stays out and... Um, Martha comes and meets him. And I feel for Martha. I don't think the first words out of my mouth would have been quite this gracious. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's just speaking truth. I know, Jesus, that you could have healed him. She, my first word, where were you? That would have been my first words. God, what was going on? Jesus, what was going on? What took, what took you so long? What was more important than my brother who was dying? You could have healed him. And I don't even, like, is it grief in her voice? Jesus, if you had been here, is it accusatory? There's some things I would like to sit down and ask Martha someday. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Even when we walk on the road of suffering, we can still stand on the faith of who God is and the promises he's given us. God is still the one we trust. So I move from Ontario into my parents' house. That was a transition for all of us. I was like 36? No, I was not 36. 35? I'm not doing the math right now. I moved into my parents' place. It was an adjustment for all of us, for a job that I did not yet have. And that was the week I discovered for a job that did not yet exist. See, Pastor Gary fully believed that this church needed somebody to serve the youth. And he had a proposal going before the board that month to hire a youth pastor. 
and it needed board approval. And I'm like, God, what? I have taken a big step in faith here, Lord. What's going on? This job doesn't even exist. I've uprooted my entire social network, my support system, the only job I did have, and I'm now in Ontario, where I do have my parents and my sister, but I know no one else. And I'm lonely. What's going on? And Jesus, in my time, says, do you trust me? I'm like, yes, Jesus. And I started getting this idea. I am for you, not against you. I have plans for you. And yes, you might work at North Grenfell Community Church, or I might have strategically placed you to launch you into the next thing I'm going to do in your life. You stepped out in faith. I've got you. I think that same thing is happening in Martha's voice. If you were here, my brother would have not died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus follows up with her saying, your brother will rise again. I almost wonder, this is not where it went, but I almost wonder if that was an invitation from Jesus to ask for something really big. Your brother will rise again. She stepped out in faith. I know that whatever you ask God, he's going to answer. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And I wonder right now if Martha says, ask God to raise him. Like, like the, the thing that's just beyond impossible. What would have happened? How would have the story changed if Martha asked right there? I wonder sometimes if we are in that place of unknown, to need to step out in faith, and God is saying, just ask. Tell me the big thing. They have a conversation about theology, about the resurrection, and Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Somehow that satisfies Martha. She goes and gets Mary. Mary and Jesus now have a conversation. Mary asks the same question. Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. And one of my classmates pointed out this really interesting thing. Jesus met each of them where they were at. Martha had to think through this. I'm the resurrection. He, he spoke to her on a reasoning, thinking way. Martha was broken, and he met her in her emotions and wept with her. Jesus meets us where we're at. When we're on that road of suffering, he meets us and gives us what we need. Be it a theological verse, a, a, a way to think through it, or an emotional. God carries both. Then Jesus takes us to the tomb, and he gives the command, take the stone away. And I think the fact that it's been four days is significant. There's no way to say, oh, this person's just in a coma. They're not really dead. This person is really dead. They smell bad. This is a warm climate. It would be unpleasant. Everybody here knows it. Did I not tell you, if you, will, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, 
But I say this for the benefit of the people gathered here, that they may believe that you sent me. And he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Jesus' promise was this story will not end in death. So when it looked like the worst in the middle, we sometimes need to remember it's the middle of the story. The victory was at the end. So I'm here, and it's May, and by the end of May, the board had decided, we will hire a youth pastor if the church can make a faith promise to support a youth pastor for a year. But they, the church needs to, to give a pledge above their tithe that we will give. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. Okay, so I'm always sitting somewhere over here in church, and every Sunday, Pastor Gary would say, we have enough to pay a youth leader $50 a week. And I would go, Lord, I can't live on that. And every week, the number would go up, and I'm going, okay, God, it's either here or you're launching me into something else. But what is it? I don't know. I'm in the middle of this story, and I am standing on the, you will provide, you have a plan. I'm just living through it. I'm just living through it, and I don't know. And right up until July 1st, I did not know what God's plan was. July 1st was the day I started. The answer was here. We had that message or that concept a long, a long time earlier, six months earlier, but it was a very slow journey. And there was places where I wasn't speaking to anyone but Pastor Gary and some close prayer friends at home. Nobody here knew the turmoil I was emotionally going through of, Am, God, is this my church family? Is this where you would like me to serve? I am blessed and glad to call you my church family. And I recognize if that hadn't worked out, God was going to do something else. But it was scary and hard. And it was the middle. Living through the middle of the story is the hard part, isn't it? And yet through it, God has been glorified. I think in my life, God's been glorified. I have drawn closer to him and helped draw people to him. The story of Lazarus and the sisters brought glory to God. Verse 45 says, Therefore many Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen and seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Not everyone, but many. So when we are in this place of shaky ground, uncertain times, troubling times, we can remember we can hold on to the truth that we are in the middle of the story. This is not in the end. One of my very favorite verses is being confident of this, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. We're in the middle of the story. God is not done with us. It's exactly like Psalm 23 he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Sometimes it's to the green pastures and the still cool ponds, to the places of nourishing and restoration. But sometimes he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And in that valley of the shadow of death, we say, 
Blessed be your name. I will still praise you, even though I don't know what's going on right now. It is the faith of Abraham when God said, sacrifice your son. There's some details that we get in Hebrews where it says, Abraham believed in faith that if he did what God commanded him, God would raise his son from the dead. Even though I, I moved for the job that did not exist yet, in faith that God had a plan. Mary and Martha asked God, Jesus, come heal our brother. And God showed up better than they knew. So when we are suffering and grieving, we are not alone. Jesus comes and meets us in that place. We can ask for the big thing, I think. I think that's what I get from that scripture, that there was a, a hint of Jesus offering an invitation. Maybe I'm alone. Did you see that in there? The, I believe whatever you ask, God will give you. I am the resurrection and the life. I believe it's there. And we can hold to that truth. Jesus gives us life. He is the resurrection and the life. Therefore, we can Stand on the promises of God, which is the final song in my soundtrack this week, Standing on the Promises of God. So right now, I think the best way to respond to this is to celebrate Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Hartley, would you run downstairs and invite Pastor Thomas and the kids to come back upstairs?